So good morning. Yay! Last week, we were really blessed to have Siggy and Dave with us, um, but never could I have expected that Siggy would actually provide me a lead-in to this week's message. The way she ended last week by talking about setting up treasures in heaven and giving to the bigger purpose, the kingdom of God, was a perfect introduction. You may have figured out that today I want to share about the spiritual side of finances and money. It might surprise you to know that in the New Testament there are 215 verses pertaining to faith, 218 pertaining to salvation, but 2,084 verses pertain to stewardship and accountability of money and finances. It's a lot. Everything we do should be part of our worship to God. We all want to operate in faith, and to accomplish that, we need to be led by the Spirit of God in everything we do, including our finances. Everything we have comes as a gift from God, by his grace, because he loves us, not because he has to, or because we've earned it or deserve it. We don't demand from God. We receive from him and steward what he has put in our hands. The Bible is very clear that we live in an actual world, but that there is a spiritual world around us, and that the spiritual world influences and controls the lives of people. Turn with me now to Matthew 6.24. So it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's a strange word, but we're going to talk about it a little bit more. Mammon, or the God of money, competes with God to be served. Jesus isn't saying this is simply a prohibition that you can't serve both. He is saying it's impossible that... And this is one of the only times that Jesus actually said that you can't do this and that. It's just not possible. You can't do it. Serving one precludes the other. The purpose of mammon is to get people to empower money, making it their source of well-being in life. Many people consider money a great treasure, How we relate to money is indicative of the condition of our hearts. I really like how the Passion Translation puts it again. Like Yaku says, it's getting to be one of my favorite versions right now. I'm going to read both verse 23 and 24. The eyes of your spirit allow revelation light to enter into your being. If your heart is unclouded, the light floods in. But if your eyes are focused on money... The light cannot penetrate, and darkness takes its place. How profound will be the darkness within you if the light of truth cannot enter? How could you worship two gods at the same time? You will have to hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. 
You can't worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. So let's look at what mammon is. Mammon was used, especially in the Old Testament, to denote an entity that people had worshipped as their God of money or finance. Mammon fits the category of a power in this world that influences the hearts of mankind to love, trust, and serve money in the physical realm. God has power. We all agree about that. The God of money, mammon, also has power. Money itself has no power. It's a piece of paper or coins, but it's, it's, it has no power. So the true power behind financial provision in our life will either be God or the spirit of mammon, the spirit of money. Until we realize the impotence of money, we will never be free from its pursuit, nor from the influence and dominion of the spirit behind it. The spirit of mammon operates through fear. We've been hearing about that a lot in the last couple of weeks. As with all demonic entities, the primary assault is not direct, but rather operates in a cloaked manner through deception, enticing people to serve it without even realizing it. If it appeared directly, I don't think that any of us would submit to it. Mammon wants to control and have power and authority through money, buying and selling, while the kingdom of God operates through giving and receiving. So let's take a few minutes to look at how we can determine if the God of money or mammon is influencing us, bringing fear into this area of our life. I'm going to look at 10 symptoms of mammon's influence. So the first one is worry and anxiety over money. The paramount lie spread by the spirit of mammon is that money contains inherent power. Mammon entices people to place disproportionate value on money. A person with lots of money is thought to be powerful, while someone with very little money is often thought to be impotent. Value is ascribed to people based on worth. Often, those with money become consumed with protecting what they have, and not only that, but getting more and more of it. So the rich are gripped with a fear of losing what they have, and the poor are gripped by a fear of lack of provision. I'm sure, you know, to a point, all of us can, can identify with that. Freedom from anxiety over money is characterized by three attitudes. Number one, what I have, I have received as a gift from God. I am merely a steward of what God has entrusted to me. My needs are met by God and not by my effort. Number two, my possessions are cared for by God. I am merely a manager of God's resources. If something is lost or stolen, God can replace it. Or not. My possessions are available to be used by others. As a manager of God's resources, I can let others use them as God directs. 
we obviously need to be good stewards at the same time, but we can follow God's direction even in those things. Okay, number two. Money mismanagement is another symptom of mammon's influence. That's no record, you know, you have no record or system of record keeping for personal finances, no accountability. And when there's no accountability, it often leads to irresponsibility and money mismanagement. Number three, consistent financial lack. And that refers back when we don't see ourselves as a steward or a manager of finances accountable before God, we will have no record keeping or budget. It's a theme. The results in spending patterns that consistently, this can result in spending patterns that are consistently above what our available resources are. Number four, an I can't afford it mentality. If the spirit of mammon has convinced me that money is my source and is the determining factor in my life, then I must be very, very careful how I spend my money. This is another way of focusing on money rather than on God as my source. It is also a mental stronghold not dependent on the actual financial situation. Number five, impulse buying. Many people purchase things they don't really need simply because it's on sale or cheap. I'll never get this good a deal again. The world system is designed to create need. I myself have had to learn not to window shop, especially at Canadian Tire. <laughs> never, ever fails. They always have great deals on everything, and of course I need it all. <laughs> Recently, I ended up, I was doing kind of a purge, trying to make room for everything in my tiny little condo, and found three crock pots, two electric can openers, um, yeah, a couple of waffle griddles, you know, like I'm like, I don't think I've ever used a waffle griddle. Why do I even have one? I don't anymore. I've managed to get rid of all these things. But I have had to limit myself to buying only when I have previously determined that there's a need. It's too easy to just get out there and spend. And unless I know that I need something, I no longer, most of the time, buy it. <laughs> Number six, stinginess. A fear that I won't have enough money to meet my own needs generates a need to hold on to the money that I do have. That is exemplified often by a fear of tithing. It is often independent, again, of the actual financial situation. Because my personal provision is already secure in God's love, is not jeopardized when he asks me to direct some of his resources to a particular purpose in the kingdom. A just enough mentality falls in this category as well. It is basically selfish, as you are limiting your ability to bless others by giving. God wants overflow in our lives so that we can bless others 
and be a financial pipeline for the kingdom of God. Number seven, greed. An inordinate desire to acquire or possess. Covetousness has to do with desiring what others have, something you don't have. But greed is desiring more of what you already have. Number eight, discontentment. In Philippians 4, 11 to 13, the translation, the passion translation, um, Paul says, I have learned to be satisfied in any circumstance. I know what it means to lack, and I know what it means to, to experience overwhelming abundance. And I'm going back to the um, New King James. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to suffer need. Many can identify with Paul being in want, but the key is that he says he knows how to live with a lot or a little. It didn't matter. Whichever place he found him in, he was able to deal with it. The key for us is to look to God, know that he is our source in every situation, and to never allow ourselves to become discontent because of our circumstances. Number nine, bondage to debt. Debt is one of the chief mechanisms the spirit of mammon uses to keep people in bondage to itself. The weight of interest owed on debt can put us in financial bondage. It's not saying that spending the money does. It says that the weight of the debt, the interest, can do that. Debt often happens when we are unable to discipline ourselves to delay personal gratification of an immediate purchase of something we want. The world system encourages personal debt through the use of credit cards. We can and need to learn to use credit cards properly so they can be a useful tool in our spending. That is, only purchasing what is in our budget and paying off our credit card when it is billed. Sometimes debt is unplanned but necessary spending. The roof leaks and you have to replace it. Medical bills, tuition. We still need to manage it and plan whenever we can. Last but not least, number 10, an exaggerated emphasis on money and an overestimate of its true power. Do you talk about money all the time? Are you impressed by people who have money or a lot of money? Do you talk about or think about pursuing money a lot? God's plan was actually for money to pursue us. We are not meant to be working to make money, but rather to have it available for ways to release it and make it work for us. Ephesians 4.28 tells us that the reason we work is to be able to give to him who has needs. I think that's really important. So I'm going to turn it a little bit now, and we're going to look at faith, God's side of the story. 
Second Corinthians 9.8 from the Amplified Bible says, And God is able to make every grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. How an individual relates to money is an indicator of how they understand God's grace. As mentioned earlier, the basic operative principle in God's economy is giving and receiving, while the basic operative principle in the world system is buying and selling. Giving and receiving are a unilateral manifestation of grace. When you give, you expect nothing in return. Buying and selling demands an exchange. This is why to get financial blessings from God, uh, sorry, this is why giving to get financial blessings from God moves us from the spiritual realm into the physical realm because we're starting to use it as a buy and sell rather than um, a giving and receiving. Our provision must be understood as a gift from God, not something due me. My employer is simply one channel through which that provision comes. Our faith needs to build the basic trust that God will provide for our needs. Not that he might, but he will because he loves us. And provision is not simply or only money, but it can be a house, it can be car, food, travel, whatever we need to fulfill what God has called us to. Money is a tool with which to serve God, not just purchasing power. I've been blessed to be in situations where God has directed me to give an offering for something specifically or to provide a tangible item like food or clothes to someone. And he has always provided the means. In the beginning, I must admit that I sometimes wondered how would I manage if I did what I thought God was saying. Sometimes I even questioned if it was really God because it was just so far out of the realm of possibility, to be honest. But experience has taught me that following that small voice has never left me in a place I couldn't make it through, even if it meant I had a little bit less to make it through with. Let's turn to First uh, Kings 17. In First Kings 17, Elijah declared a drought. Then he was sent to the brook Cherith, which after a while dried up. And then he was set, sent to a widow to provide for him. So I'm going to read from verse 11 to 16. And she... Um, as she, so the widow, was going to get, um, get it. He called to her, so she was going to get water, I think. He called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. 
And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She had no outlook, no, no future to look for. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. It is important to recognize the place and channel through which God is making provision. Most Christians are thrown into a panic every time a particular channel that God has been using for provision dries up. It is critical to be listening to the Holy Spirit to know that a change has taken place and what the change is. In reality, everything we have, we receive as a gift from God, as we've said. Our usage of money and provision is simply a test to see if we understand God's grace. Do I see my provision as a gift from him or as something I am owed as a result of my works? Do I use money in giving and receiving to introduce others to grace or only in the world system of buying and selling to obtain something of equal value. When we give that which was created by man for buying and selling money with no expectation of return, we introduce others to grace and we profane the sacred properties that mammon would attribute to money. Giving is an act of spiritual warfare in which we proclaim that money has no power in our lives. My ability to accomplish my goals is in no way diminished by decreasing the current amount of money over which I have stewardship. Since God is able to have money released to me out of the world system, my capacity is in no way diminished through giving. God is my source, and my trust is in his provision for me by his grace. So let's take a quick look at how we can utilize our money as God makes it available to us. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 to 11 in the Amplified Version says, And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing, come to you in abundance, so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need, be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support, and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. As it is written, he, the benevolent person, scatters abroad. He gives to the poor his deeds of justice and goodness and kindness and benevolence will go on and endure forever. And God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for the sowing and bread for eating, will also provide and multiply your resources 
for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness which manifests itself in active goodness kindness and charity thus you will be generous and your generosity as it is administered by us will bring forth thanksgiving to God there are five biblical uses of money that we can take from these verses the first one is seed for the sower this is the tithe we are to be a tither heart attitude not just to tithe which is a letter of the law it already belongs to God and is set aside as holy to be given into the storehouse what is it it's 10% of i learned whatever comes into your hand so it can be your wages it can be money from from a business you have it can be an inheritance whatever comes into your hand where your local fellowship or church red hill why it's not a law but an ancient path that is a universal principle that works the same for every person all the time the practical action that helps it is also a practical action that helps establish and strengthen our faith in God as our resource it also helps establish discipline in our life and delivers us from fear of not having enough it breaks the spirit of mammon when we give money with no expectation of receiving something of equal value we introduce money to grace when do we give our tithe when we receive it so you get paid weekly tithe weekly if you get paid monthly tithe monthly how do we do it and this is talking more about the attitude the attitude with which we give and our attitude toward the tithe are critical that the tithe that the tithe is god's leviticus 27:30 says all the tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the lord's it is holy to the lord it doesn't belong to us we are only stewards the tithe tithe is holy that is dedicated or set aside unto the lord like a trust account for god number 2 um that we get from this scripture is bread for eating this is the resource re, these are the resources available for our personal consumption like food clothing housing housing and must be managed the, there are two steps to this the first step is planning we need to plan for our financial situation that is we need to do a budget we need to become accountable to god for administration of our present resources by closing our financial circle that is determining how much is enough what do i need that's how much is enough when we know that and then experience financial increase we will ask god's direction for why he provided that increase was it for obligations was it for needs and necessities wants and desires when god says the time and the thing are right it may be for those things a budget is simply a stake in the ground with which to measure our travel with time through time with money it helps to cut out unplanned spending and to be more mindful of what we spend an open circle no budget can lead to any financial increase simply being gobbled up 
expanding our circle. The um, second step to, is to for um, having the resources for eating um, and managing it is to manage our debt. Most people today have come to accept that living with debt, debt is normal. I want to read to you from Haggai 1, 5 to 7. Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to be put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Many people feel this is a story of their lives. They never have enough. It's as if the bag they put their money in has holes and it all leaks out. God encourages us to consider our ways. Check your conduct and see if what you are doing is right. Check your motive and see if why you are doing it is right. The order and authority of God reflected in an individual's finances is that there will be enough provision to meet each necessity at the appropriate time. Unplanned debt is an indicator of the breakdown of this order. Many times it's neither what we are doing that is wrong, nor the motive for doing it, but rather the timing of doing it. We may do the right thing with the right motive, but at the wrong time or in the wrong way. Sometimes people use debt in one of these destructive ways. However, incurring debt is not inherently sinful. It is often simply unwise. An example of this is our credit card usage. Credit cards should be used as if it were cash you have in your wallet. It must be backed up by money in your account so it can be paid in full at month end. It has been suggested by many financial advisors that if carrying credit cards leads you to violate your closed circle budget, that you seriously considering cutting up your cards and terminating their use. I actually worked with a pastor who helped a lot of people with their, their situation and their overspending and their debt. And he used to um, take them with, take their credit cards with their agreement, take their credit cards, cut them into little pieces, put them on a baking sheet and shove them in the oven, melt them down, put a hole in it and hang it on the wall. It was just a reminder that this is where I was and I don't want to go there again. Number three. Okay. Sowing and reaping. This money comes from overflow and is invested in the kingdom of God with a deliberate intention to reap a multiplied harvest. The fourth point that we get out of 2 Corinthians is um, increasing fruits of righteousness. This money is allowed to build relationships, is allocated rather, to build relationships and to deliver others from debt and set people free from bondage. And number five, generosity. This money is available to bless others or to be given to the poor or others as the Lord directs. And as one has purposed in his or her heart. 
So just a quick note, in case you didn't know, one source of increase here in Canada is a tax deduction for our donations. It's one more source of additional funds for the kingdom. So as I conclude today, I don't want to give you the mistaken impression that this is an easy or quick journey, that I suddenly had this revelation and faith just took over and I never doubted or questioned again. It's been said that our walk with God and our journey of faith is a marathon, not a sprint. We just need to decide that we want to do it, then take one step at a time, allowing God to increase our faith and move us closer to him. As I can attest, that has happened for me, not just in the physical realm or um, in the physical healing, divine protection, but in many other areas as well, including my finances. And as we were encouraged by Siggy last week, I invite each of us to leave self-preservation and fear behind, including in this specific area of finance. Return to your first love. Live in eternity, giving into more than yourself. Thank you. Yeah.